uccello? Prego maestro. Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of Extended Clip. I am one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And like every week, we're here to talk about two films, an art film and a genre film, I guess you could say. This one, kind of more of a, a drama, a yeah, political drama. Yeah, yeah. And we got a real doozy this week. Yeah. I uh, Do you want me to launch right in? This is my uh, selection for the week under the theme of Italian neoliberalism. <laughs> and so we have two pictures that are like flip sides of uh, that coin. On our Italian side, we have uh, City of Women, 1980 by Fellini. You're going to hit that Italian title? Uh, no, <laughs> no, I am not going to try and butcher any Italian names. Federico Fellini. Fellini. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Marcello Mastroianni. Damn, you nailed it. Yeah. You nailed it. But yeah, then our second uh, picture on the neoliberalism half is Bullworth. Which, what is the year for this? 98. 98 uh, by Warren Beatty. Mm-hmm. City of Women, 1980, Federico Fellini. First image and the last image is a train going into a tunnel. I think you know what that symbolizes. This movie's about fucking. Yes. We're getting it on. Oh, yeah. I am not the biggest fan of Federico Fellini's filmography from what I've seen. Saw eight and a half thought it was fair enough but it really is kind of soured on me over the years and i've bailed on the other two fellinis i've tried to watch and this one was no different i gotta be honest i mean there was some cool stuff in it i i can see why jt brought it to the table it is definitely a continuation of a theme we've seen in this podcast of italian horny cinema uh from scent of a woman to city of women there's really nothing in between it's just about an old man trying to get his rocks off. The Italians love a woman. What can I say? Yeah, and this one's this one's more like, why do I love women? You know, <laughs> the scent of a woman's like, oh, I really, I really love women. Yeah, this one's more of like that makes you think type shit. Damn. <laughs> do we want to just like run through the plot a little bit? I mean, as much as we can with yeah, this. Yeah, sure. So yeah, this, this ambles is, all over the place. Yeah, it's it's a dream of a film, and yeah. I mean that quite literally. literally. I don't yeah. think it's mm-hmm. a big deal to spoil it. You could kind of tell right away it's working in some surreal dream logic and. You know, him waking up at the end is just kind of a punctuation mark. You kind of know it's that kind yeah. of situation. So he follows a woman that he sees on a train into a bathroom and tries to just like immediately start or not tries to. He immediately starts groping and, you know, grabbing and mm-hmm. talking dirty. But, she, you know, yeah. she's down like most of the women in this film. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, it's it's good, clean fun, you know, until later in the film we learn out maybe maybe it's not. Yeah, is fucking bad? Yeah. Who's to say? Who's to say? And we joke, but this is kind of my critique as we get into it, is it really is just, I don't know. I can deal so much with an old man trying to make a young man's film. I think it has to be a director I already like, though. Yeah. You know, you watch The Mule. You watch Clint Eastwood at 89 years old, have multiple threesomes. And I just, I love that. But then here you got Fellini with his director surrogate character going through this crazy sex fantasy and i just find it way too i don't want to even say masturbatory because i just wish this was a softcore film i just the way the reason i love it so much is because i think it's him as like an like an elder filmmaker wrestling with like the fact that he's from like a very like traditional uh time and then there's been like such big cultural upheaval in like the 60s and 70s and like just trying to like i appreciate like it feels to me like a naked honesty with how he reveals like a lot of the ugliness to how he perceives sexuality and i think to like some extent like not as much as i feel like he merits he's like critical of himself but i just think it's like i like the naked honesty of being so regressive yeah, no, I totally get that. And I he is a bit critical of himself. He doesn't let himself get off, you know, completely scot-free. But I think what soured me initially is when he initially shows up to the titular city of women. Yes. And he's learning about feminism. And it's kind of 
a 40 minute chunk of Fellini's feminism. What a concept, you know, like he's just kind of baffled by this thing and is showing it as this, you know, cartoon version of it years after it was already in the discourse. Uh, like he's so late to the party kind of and out of touch. And that could be good in other films, but here it feels really like he's just grinding his own gears and just having these kind of fake people shouting the arguments that he has been hearing for 15 years or whatever. That's like another re- like uh, another counterpoint to that is I kind of like that it's the whole f- the whole of the film is so exaggerated and so like lacks subtlety and that's just like I mean whether intentional or not I like am really amused by that and I like there's the one point where Fellini's on or I mean not Fellini uh, Mastroianni is on the other end of the grope train and uh, he is being led by that older woman mm-hmm. into that little greenhouse oh, yeah. uh, and she mm-hmm. tries That's to fuck him. character, <laughs> yeah. I gotta say. Yeah. And then, like, there's a point where, like, she is showing him, like, the dead stuffed cats and then, like, when she pulls him down, there's a rooster legitimately on the cat, the cock yeah. on the pussy. And it's just so, like, I, I, it's so fucking funny to be that, like, just forward and just, like, to not, like, I don't know. It's like a camp value to me that I really like. I don't know. I can appreciate about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like I feel like I'm more leaning towards like Eddie's kind of reading of the movie. But like I I still think it's like entertaining in parts and it really kind of goes from like a set piece by set piece basis for me, which kind of which kind of made me kind of disconnect from it as a whole in terms of like outcome. But Mm -hmm. I like the scene you mentioned, but like in terms of like the whole feminism uh scene it it may it basically i feel like fellini's saying like you know i i agree with this feminism stuff but you know can you just like do they have to just chill out a little and bit? i know <laughs> this is coming from obvious you know it mm-hmm. this isn't the right people to be talking True. about feminism we are very aware of that but also if you just ignore that aspect of this film you know you're stupid it's it's yeah it's it's that's what it's about so yeah. i'm not afraid to talk and, about yeah. feminism I'm not going to talk about feminism either. Yeah, let's talk about feminism, pussy. Yeah, so... Let's let's, go there. Yeah, Yeah. so speaking of pussy, yeah, when he first gets to... So he follows this woman off the train, and he ends up at this, like, uh, enclosed little village of women that use men kind of as servants, and you kind of get it right away. And something... A speech is given where, you know, they say the vagina is the shell of the sea, and they're just like saying that men degrade it by calling it a pussy. And, you know, mm. it's really like you vagina monologue esque yeah. feminism one on one oh one type stuff. Mm-hmm. But they're trying to come up with come up with new names for the pussy, too. I thought that was fun. <laughs> that yeah, was that a was fun, fun premise. I the punchlines themselves True, yeah. were not that funny. though. What about uh, uh, what did Pacino say in Son of Woman? Passport to heaven. Uh, yeah, so it's like right away it's posing you with this question is is Fellini mocking or embracing feminism? And I think very quickly you kind of get that it is a little bit of both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can do both. And I think that's kind of admirable to just take a messy ass stance on it. Uh, but it really just made me feel kind of just like, well, that's kind of a bad choice. Every two minutes or so the lines just shouted out that just make your skin crawl. Uh, just bad takes left and right. <laughs> I, I love that messy approach. Mm-hmm. That's, I, again, like another thing uh, in the, my corner of enjoying it. Is that like it kind of plays like it, it's like a boomer's nightmare of sexuality. <laughs> and I think that's it's just it's so funny to me for that reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's one of these things that I just wish I was fucking on board for because I could see why everyone's having fun. That was like the mm-hmm. house that Jack built. I was in yeah. the back of the theater on my fucking high horse. <laughs> <laughs> just like, oh, God, all these plebes just having such a good time with this movie. I wish I was one of them. I wish I fucking got joy out of this movie. Well, it kept, I kept yeah. trying to like it for the whole time, you know? I think I think I kind of pinpointed why I don't like this movie. And it's because I love messy movies. Like I, like, I usually do like messy things. You like the house that Jack built. Right? I like the house that Jack built. Um but I'm not going to get into that now. But uh, <laughs> a spirited debate yeah, a spirited on Mars von Trier. <laughs> <laughs> that's what the people want. I know that's what the people want, but I'm going to chill out for now. But there's like a certain type of messiness type that filmmaking that doesn't quite appeal to me where it feels kind of 
all like kind of like all encompassing or whatever like i feel like fellini's trying to tackle you know so many issues you know and that's kind of like the point of the movie but i feel like its scope is so big to the point where i just kind of lose interest it kind of reminds me of like uh some ken russell movies of the early 70s like litsomania or the devils if you guys have seen that i haven't really no. uh well yeah I, I don't like those either for like <laughs> reasons. but i was gonna say i think that lends itself to the very classic messy films that i love like something mm-hmm. like southland tales is sure. about the end of the world that is you true. know and it's it's a scope so big and all encompassing and about all of these different aspects of life and society that it just has to fail. And I think the movie itself is kind of self-aware of that. Mm-hmm. And so it just swings to the fences anyway. And this movie is kind of similar. It's trying to just encompass all that is, you know, m- the male approach to mm-hmm. heterosexual sexuality. And it just does not, you know, it takes an admirable swing. I got I'll say that, but yeah. I just, it did, it doesn't connect with me. And there is a lot to admire in Fellini's uh, approach here on a formal level. Mm-hmm. I like what he's doing. I mean, the cinematography, so many of those old art house guys, once they get into old age, uh, the cinematography just looks weird. You know, it looks weird to see Fellini doing an eighties movie. Just like when you see late, period Antonioni or late period Godard we talked about last week it has that weird quality where the film you can tell is not from its own time and I like that but it doesn't quite work for me here yeah and maybe maybe what it comes down to ultimately is that I don't know if any of Fellini's opinions that he's bringing forth are that interesting I guess and at least in my view I like I get that and I see like why they aren't like particularly I don't think he's presenting a necessarily nuanced like argument yeah. <laughs> uh, in any respect yeah, uh, not at all. Uh, in this, but I think it's just so fun. And then there are moments for me that hit where it's like something. And I mean, I think the messy approach for me works a lot because I think like sexuality in itself is like, has that sort of like mm-hmm. mess and problematic yeah, sure. aspect yeah. to it. But I think the moments that really hit for me are like when he like is reflecting on like some moments, mm-hmm. like when the scene, when we're skipping ahead a little bit here, but where he's at that, like that doctor's house mm-hmm. um, yeah. and he's there with like his uh, ex wife. I think that like that played for me well enough where they have their little like argument and back and forth and then the other scene that I feel like really uh, is my favorite sequence is when they're going down the little the uh, slide, the, the slide, carnival slide, the carnival slide, where he takes a, a journey through the past, as Neil Young would say, yeah. through all of his favorite sexual encounters. Yeah, his favorite beat off stash. Yeah. yeah, I kind of like it. It is a good visualization <laughs> of the spank bank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that, you know, I like the conceit of that. And I think the carnival set that was built is very pretty to look at mm-hmm. and i like yeah it just goes it's like a 40 minute set piece though and some of the flashbacks that are within that set piece is like oh all right i get it he was he was horny for that big old ass <laughs> <laughs> there's one yeah there's they there's use kind of a forced perspective ass. to make a woman's ass like eight times the size that it's supposed to be and it's like in close-ups on you know, as one director said 10 years ago yesterday, the brown taint area. <laughs> I don't think there was anything unnatural about the size of that ass at no, all. No, yeah. I think that's that's a good size. Okay. For, <laughs> oh. Um, I have the screenshots to prove it. <laughs> I have a question for you, Eddie, because I know you love car scenes yeah. in movies. Oh, this is the worst fucking driving scene I've ever oh, seen in my oh, life. Damn. So you didn't bad. even like... I had to write, what the fuck is this driving scene, dude? It... He just, oh, God. It's like the bad version of what you see in, like, The Other Side of the Wind, where they can't really get a real driving scene going. So they just have the car uh, just, like, pouring water on top of it to simulate rain and lights to do passing traffic. It's that fake looking. But it doesn't have me on board because the young people are jamming out to, like, the worst synth pop oh like, you don't like a tallow disco no nah. i don't like a tallow disco i'm sorry it uh, was terrible maybe there's other stuff shit. in the genre that i like but <laughs> i thought that was some weak shit and i thought i wrote several times he's not like an action director it, it just doesn't 
have that momentum in the camera movement and the cutting that you need to get a good car chase scene, in my opinion. No I adrenaline. I don't think he's not a genre director. Well, I mean, it takes a good or at least competent genre director to do those car scenes good. I don't think it needed to play as like an action like sequence for me, but though. It was so long that it should have if it's that much just driving, you know, and it's not like they're inside the car. It's like a convertible. Right. And they're just out. The camera's outside the car and it's just hanging on the car for a long time. But it's dark. You can't really see anything. The background doesn't look very interesting. I mean, I think there's some interesting things with like the fog and the lights and stuff. There, there are a lot of parts of the sequence that I think like really shine out as like visually compelling. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> uh, so then they, that car ride ends up with them at Dr. Zuper Dick's house where he just has like a museum worth of sex toys. And again, I like the conceit of it. But when he gets into that hallway where it's all these paintings with like podcasts mm. of women uh, making sex talk where he pushes pushes buttons and listens to them talk dirty. Yeah. That scene goes on so long. Does he? I think it's a funny setup, but does he have to try every single painting in the room? Yeah, I mean, he only tried like half the paintings. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Malcolm is right. Uh, but I don't know. I like that. That's another one of those things where I feel like because it drags. There are so many things that are parts of this movie that feel like Fellini is having a lot of fun with. Oh, for sure. And like, yeah. I can just get like. Uh, I'm so on board with that because it feels like the the authenticity to his approach. Uh, like I just I can I can sign up for that energy. Yeah, no, it's clearly authentic. You know, it's one of those movies where all of the indulgences you could say they are about the director's own indulgences. Yeah, and it's one of those movies where everything I say as a negative. If I were talking about a different movie, I could have said that same thing as a positive. I just wasn't on board with it. And it really is swinging for the fences in every regard. So when you're not on board with a movie yeah, like absolutely. that, mm-hmm. it's really hard. Because I think this, like the initial reception for City of Women was pretty rough. Because mm-hmm. uh, I would say for that very reason. I think I read that like, oh, fuck, it was like Tarkovsky who was like, uh, that like this was the worst movie he ever made um, and was just disappointed in him. Yeah, yeah. Tar- I think that was like in his journals. And I think, yeah, I think like American critics were just like, oh, Fellini, so it's pretty good. But like I think like the French critics were a little little harsher on it. Yeah, I hate to be like the guy in Annie Hall who says that <laughs> Fellini got bad after La Strada or whatever that guy says. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I don't like the early stuff or the late stuff, so I guess Damn. I'm not that guy. I I like I feel like this ha- scenes going on too long is something that happens a lot in this movie, and I think like kind of like the hallway of like the woman and the sex noises. I feel like I kind of like it in that scene because it kind of it kind of reaches a point where he's just like he doesn't even really know what to do in the room <laughs> anymore. He's just like fucking around and like it's not even a sexual thing anymore for him. It's just like it's just curiosity. Yeah, what do you guys think of Mastroianni in it? Because I like I like that he in that very particular moment. He's like playful and uh, kooky about it. For what he's asked to do, I think he he does it well. He has a sure. lot of really interesting like gestures and mm-hmm. facial expressions. I I actually think he's probably the strongest part of this movie, other than the cinematography. I guess mm-hmm. I think he's really quite good with what he has to do. I don't like what he's doing, but he yeah. does it really well. And I like what he's doing. Sometimes the the micro gestures are all great. The little the ways he'll skip across a room or you know hornily approach a woman. <laughs> sometimes you could see it in his posture and the way his hands are tingling. Sometimes it's very Italian. <laughs> Oh, I love hornily oppressing a woman. <laughs> this, <laughs> we all. This is a distinctly Italian type of horny, though. Oh, for it's sure. Like, in all senses. And that's another reason why I like the specificity of his horny childhood. Is like, it's because it's like you get, there's a universality to it of like, we've all been horny children. Or mm-hmm. I hope. Um, Never. Uh, um, I was telling the story off mic. Yeah, I didn't get horny until my 18th birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. That's cool. Yeah. So is that? Uh, Yeah, and then they just hang out at Dr. Zuper Dick's for a while, and there's like this like zen sex kind of cheap like orientalism kind of thing that happens for like five minutes. And then he goes on the, uh, the, the ride that we described, the carnival ride. And that's kind of the final big set piece. Yeah. It, that's like his escape from Dr. Zuper Dick's house mm-hmm. is into a little tunnel. 
takes the slide, goes back through the spank bank, as we said, and intercut in that is also a little cinema sleepover he has with a bunch of boys. Oh, yeah. That's so funny. It's kind of cute. It's like him and like a hundred dudes on the Just biggest bed ever. Beating off. Yeah, yeah. To a movie. Like, uh-huh. yeah. It was that I did like. Yeah. I like the part of this movie with guys. Guys <laughs> jacking off in a bed. So yeah. Marlene and Dietrich. Give me the city of women guys. <laughs> yeah. It's eight minutes long. Yeah, this what should if, be city of men. <laughs> city of men. What would happen if it was just guys in a city? Kind of makes, I don't know. I think the movie would be over very quickly. <laughs> yeah, from there, he just like kind of, after he- He's go- put on trial. Put kind on trial. Of. Yeah. So he's put on trial, and then he has to like go on a float. Uh, a pl- uh, Not a float. He floats away on a balloon- is he guilty or is he? Um, I forgot what the trial. I think was. it's I just was zoned it's, out it's, at this point. Honestly, and I mean another reason I like can really vibe with the movie is a lot of it is just nonsense. They're yeah. just like uh, shouting, shouting so many like just catchphrases or just like mm-hmm. detached statements of ideology. Yeah, that like it's it's I don't know. In that sense, it's a mess, but. They're just like, I think they're like, oh, he's free to go. And then he's like, actually, I'm not. I'm going to confront this big room of women. And then he climbs up the ladder from there onto the hot air balloon woman, sails away and gets like shot down. Oh, yeah. I forgot someone shoots Mm -hmm. him at the end. And that's what wakes him up. And then he's back on the train. And it's like Wizard of Oz. Everyone was there from the dream. And then it's like North by Northwest. And it ends with the shot of the train going in the tunnel. Uh, because Fellini and Hitchcock both were horny motherfuckers. They both had sex. Yeah, they know what it looks like. Yeah, we're all doing the finger thing, <laughs> finger fucking I'm hand doing gesture the thing. now. Well, we're- so what I'm doing is, yeah, I'm curling one of my index fingers around with my thumb to make kind of like the OK symbol, and that represents the tunnel, and that's my right hand. And then my left hand, I'm using my uh, index finger. Uh, as I guess an erect member and it goes into it and I'm doing that. Yeah, but we're all doing that to Eddie's hand. Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing the thing where you make your hand look like a Star Trek thing and then you connect it with the other friends and you look at it. It's like that's what a pussy looks like. <laughs> I'm doing the thing uh, where you make like a V, uh, like a peace sign with two fingers and then you put your tongue through up and down like you're, you're tasting a pussy. <laughs> I'm doing the thing where I'm like whipping my ring finger really fast. Like I'm going to smack someone on the leg with it. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing that thing where I'm whipping my wrist and it sounds like I'm I'm, I'm, I'm packing a can of dip. <laughs> what are the uh, finger tricks doing? <laughs> I'm giving the okay <laughs> And so that pretty much wraps up our thoughts on City of Women. JT, this is one of your favorite movies. You got anything else to say about it? Yeah, just want to say I'm not a big Fellini boy otherwise. Uh, but this one, because uh, it's such a such an admirable feat of horny cinema, uh, it does it for me. Check it out if you're interested in, in being horny. Uh, I'd say check it out if you've ever uh, wondered what would happen if there was a city of just women. It does fulfill that premise. It's not a city, though. It's more oh, of like yeah. a co-op. It's a hotel commune. lobby. Yeah. yeah, it's a commune of women. That would be a more true title. I don't think it's very good, but you should check it out anyway because I probably just have bad taste. Uh, but I don't know. Like, I just like I like shit that's like fucking random and fucked up, you know? <laughs> oh, wait. No, Me actually, uh, that would mean I, I like that movie. Whoops. Uh, we'll be back for Bullworth. By March 1996... Bob Dole and President Clinton had locked up their party's presidential nominations. And while California approached its primary with little fanfare or attention, Democratic Senator Jay Billington Bullworth embarked upon the final weekend of his re-election campaign. And that concludes our segment of Steely Dan Discography Ranking. Welcome back to Extended... Oh, shit. I don't think we were recording during that segment. Well, we'll do that next week. Whatever. Welcome back to Extended Clip. You guys watch anything else this week other than the movies we're talking about today? Uh, just a just a little movie called Scum, uh, directed by a uh, fellow British man, Alan Clark. And it's basically just a portrait of uh, a boy's prison in Britain. Very brutal. A lot of, uh, you know, 
bones broken, stuff like that. It, you know, it's, it's, it's honestly, and it, it goes from brutal to extremely depressing really quick, but there's something that feels very important of like what Alan Clark's depicting, especially at the time when, uh, I know a lot of boys programs in England are notorious for, you know, pedophilia, abuse of power, stuff like that. And this is kind of a, a real heartfelt exposure of this. I think it might've been a TV movie too or something like that but yeah it just you you really feel the pain and it's one of those movies that is really trying to it's almost trying to find a solution which is i don't know i could almost admire a movie that tries to do things like that so scum do you fuck heavy with clark i've only mm-hmm. seen like elephant and i think like yeah. he, he did a lot of like tv movie stuff yeah. and he seems like a really like I, I don't know a neat guy to dive deep on i've only seen scum i've seen scum twice though oh, but that yeah. might be a uh, project for the podcast because i have seen none of his films but they all mm-hmm. look very appealing to me mm-hmm. from what i've heard so yeah check it out uh i watched quite a few this week i got back on my shit after last week I watched Spike Lee's Clockers. That was fantastic. Underrated, I guess, within his 90s run. I don't know. I, I'm growing more convinced that nobody really dominated the 90s in American cinema quite like Spike Lee. Everything just seems to be a hit from Girl 6 to Clockers to Crooklyn. Uh, I'm going to watch Summer of Sam next. But yeah, Clockers is really great. Just overall fantastic performances. It really has this like lived-in feeling to both of the worlds that it portrays you know it's kind of like it's been compared to the wire a lot for the kind of even-handed uh point of view both from the cops and the drug dealing perspective so yeah that was a lot of fun to watch spike lee is you know one of the great directors it's hard to go wrong it also seems like it might be hard to go wrong with rainer werner fassbinder who has been talked about by malcolm on this show last week he can't stop winning I, I looked into it. I made good on my word. I watched two of his films. I watched Whitey, which was good, and I watched The Merchant of Four Seasons, which is incredible. Apparently, this is when he transitions into his Cirque and melodrama style. And I, I mean, if this film indicates what is to come in the rest of the 70s for him, I am all in. You know, The Merchant of the Four Seasons is really moving on a very base level. All of the pivotal scenes of the drama are played at just an absolute 12 from the actors and the camera. There's a lot of very expressive and powerful zooms and camera movements and just individual cuts that feel like they have the impact that full scenes would have from other directors. I'm very quickly convinced that Fassbender is a master. So I'm going to watch more of his shit. And I also watched uh, some short works this week. Watched quite a few Looney Tunes, uh, The Old Gray Hair by Bob Clampett. That's a classic right there. And some videos from the Twitter user Santa Cruz Joker. Check him out. He uh, did some karaoke as the Joker, and it's among the best short films of him this year. Mm-hmm. And he's crushing alt-right trolls, so we, sh- we we definitely support that. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you think someone who a guy who walks around wearing lipstick would support Donald Trump, you got another freaking thing coming. Uh, that's a good uh, transition point for me to talk about uh, one movie of note that I watched this week and I really dug, uh, the 89 uh, Tim Burton Batman. Ooh. I uh, I have a, a portrait of Jack Nicholson as the Joker uh, hanging above my bed and I figured it was about time I uh, got around to watching it. It was a gift. Um, and I really, like, I don't know. I... I can really attach myself to the early like comic book stuff before the like obviously the boom happened and there are so many like weird formalist approaches and I think that like the way uh, Burton handles it like is so cartoonish and fun and like uh, I'm gonna about to drop a hot hot take okay I'll oh, get no. the I'll get the bleep button ready if <laughs> <Yeah>. it's <laughs> um, uh, Jack Nicholson best Joker performance. We got a lot of people out there saying it's Jared Leto. Um, But honestly, the way Nicholson does his Joker laugh, one classic. That's the that's like 50 percent of the performance right there. Um, But aside from that, he like, I don't know, this Batman movie feels like a cartoon. It feels like a comic book. It's like two hours long, but it goes by so quickly and it 
has that type of like nature where it's never like taking itself too seriously and like the comedy isn't like the shitty like Marvel movie like characters doing like quippy banter stuff um, and then there are also some awesome Prince songs in it but yeah aside from that I'd say I was feeling a little homesick and I watched the best uh, Philadelphia movie uh, Blowout Ooh, Ooh, nice Blowout I think we can all agree is an extended clip classic, right? Six Sense, yeah. right there. Yeah, that's, that's our that's Six Sense episode three of the Six Sense. Chiching. <laughs> I really want to check out that Batman. I haven't seen either the Burton Batman since I was a little kid watching it with my cousin at my grandma's house, mm-hmm. and those were some good memories. So maybe that's enough for me to fall back in love with Tim Burton. I mean, I was never really in love with him, but Pee Wee is great. I guess. Yeah, yeah I think. Pee-wee and Beetlejuice are both great. I like Pee-wee, Ed Wood. I haven't seen Beetlejuice. I need to see Ed Wood. That's what, yeah. Yeah, I have not explored the Burton filmography besides what I went to go see. I only like late period Burton. Yeah. (laughs) Alice, the Miss Pettigrew. Everything after the Alice 3D reboot from like 2011 or so, that's the gold mine, baby. Big guys, you know. This is a Dumbo (laughs) head podcast. (laughs) I haven't even seen Dumbo, but it's already my number one film of 2019. I just know that it's that good. (laughs) Unfortunately, the movie police have not let me see it. The second film we're talking about today is Bullworth, 1998 film by Warren Beatty, starring Warren Beatty. And... It takes place two years earlier in the election that would give Bill Clinton his second term in office. But we're talking about a senator here. A senatorial race is going on. And this man is in the throes of suicidal neoliberalism. Can we say that? That's how the film opens? Oh, hell yes. I like it gets like fucking right to the point. It's the opening credits. You have like an audio montage of all of the campaign slogans that he's been saying and all these spots where he's talking this terrible stuff about you know we don't want to do hand-me-downs we need a hand-up economy and talking about unnecessary affirmative action and how welfare is out of control and he's running as a democrat you know huh i wonder if there's another democrat running for uh, an election in that uh period huh i mean the film makes it kind of obvious it's uh it's parallel with the clinton campaign for a second term i guess you know in that era of establishment democrats is represented yeah i mean i feel like that's the 90s was really when like the centrist lib uh came to the fore as like the dominating mode for the party yeah so that that's what the episode gets its name from jt can you can you explain a little to the see i don't know anything about this politics junk What's yeah. this whole neo neo biller is ne- yeah. neo mate is it the matrix? <laughs> I'm just a son of the soil, so you're gonna have to explain this to me. You see, I'm uh, kind of a left Twitter guy. Oh. Um, so you have a rose emoji tattooed on your ass. <laughs> yeah, um, being uh, one of the the founding members of the DSA, I think I can explain a little bit. Uh, a little thing called neoliberalism. Yeah, I this week, just like coincidentally, I was reading A Brief History of Neoliberalism by David Harvey. It tied together perfectly with the film. Honestly, like the opening like montage that we just mentioned, like cuts to the core right away. Essentially what Harvey uh, defines as neoliberalism is like kind of different in like theory and practice and there's like an inherent contradiction in it and that the theoretical side is trying to provide the notion of freedom through free markets and like eliminating regulation and government services. Um, and that's under the guise that that's the best uh, thing for sort of everyone. But in practice, it's was more of a way for the wealthy and the elite class to redistribute wealth back to themselves from the poor in the 70s uh, to the 90s. Yeah, and we see very... And I mean today as well. Yeah, of course. And we see very early on when, you know, the kind of deals he's making in his position of power, he's killing legislation that is to help people (laughs) to simply get $10 in life insurance for his daughter, you know? And that might be a little too on the nose of a way to enter the movie, but I think it's perfectly fine for this just to show the extremes that he's going to and to set up kind of the plot of the movie so this senator he gets this 10 million in life insurance set up and gets a hit put out on himself (laughs) yeah i think it cuts like uh pretty straight to the point there like i don't think any of the um 
like having him sort of be a shady politician like doing deals like i mean i feel like there's a way i feel like that could be perceived as like a little bit like on the nose like you're saying but it's just like it's realistic i don't like, think I it's think a problem it's, either it's literally the first scene of exposition like after the credits end we got to know what he does at his job you know and mm-hmm. it fills that purpose very quickly so he wants to get a hit put out on himself big mood as they say yeah. i would do such a thing mm-hmm. but he wants to do it because neoliberalism has driven him to suicide he's seen himself sell out during that opening credit sequence and he's just so distraught with the bullshit that he has to do that he just wants to give a little money to his daughter and fucking eat it yeah it's one of the key uh sleep deprived performances i love that it just sort of takes place like uh you get a little chain of like or that there's that link rather um of him not sleeping throughout like most of the movie. I mm-hmm. think it's a good energy to have a character operate on. Mm-hmm. And Bet- Betty's great at looking like kind of like goofy faced and delirious. And like he's, I think he's a perfect avatar for that type of mood. Yeah. So he gets this hit, you know, arranged for him and he's about to finish up his senatorial campaign. So he gets on the plane from Washington back to California, gets off and immediately knows that, someone is trying to kill him and so his primal kind of fear takes over and he wants to get out of there so the whole movie he's evading getting killed because he doesn't give a shit anymore he goes to his first speech and it's at a black church and they have questions for him and he proves that he just doesn't give a shit and that politicians are there not to help them the riots and civil unrest went down about four years ago. You promised us federal funding to rebuild our community. What happened? Well, what happened was that uh, we all knew that was going to be big news for a while, so we all came down here, Bush, Clinton, Wilson, all of us. We got our pictures taken, told you what you wanted to hear, and we, we pretty much forgot about it. Mm-hmm. He goes on a... He, he goes on, you know, some real talk. He talks explicitly. And um, what, you know, he even says some things that are unfavorable to the people he's speaking to, you know, and really kind of lays it out on, on the line in a way that, you know, some, some of the people are mad, but some other people gained respect for him that day. Yeah, it's funny, like, just how, like, I, I like that the film gets to the point that, like, in him just, like, going like ape shit uh, people just yeah. still appreciate uh that he's just being honest about the way things are and i think it like i don't know it makes him sound like a real bernie bro bernie yeah. bro. dare i say well this is where all the cards are placed on the table you know this scene this first big speech is the first turning point or first act break as some screenwriting books would say and it's when you kind of know if you're on board with the movie or not and honestly, I was maybe a bit unsure. I liked the first 10, 15 minutes, but then this speech happened and I knew I was in for just an absolute blast. You know, he's running on the same things that, you know, leftists have probably been talking about since this is 1998. It was only, what, 18 years later than that Bernie Sanders was running on similar platforms of the simple fact of pointing out that Medicare for all is a plausible thing if you don't want to let you know, insurance companies just take a bunch of fucking money for no reason and that there's insane income inequality. And, you know, we would see that a little before Bernie with the Occupy Wall Street, but it's the things that people have been on their minds forever and it resonated then in this fictional story and it resonates now still. Mm-hmm. And something I kind of like about this movie is that as Beatty kind of goes on to say more explicit things, it, it kind of looks like that he might be doing poorly but in reality, he's gaining much, you know, much more popularity. But within like these kind of austere kind of, you know, Washington like environments, all of this seems so foreign. You'd have the impression that he's losing, but he's actually doing better than he ever could. I mean, I hate to like I pull like Trump into this, but I mean, you I feel it. like yeah. that's yeah, that's like another thing <laughs> that relates to it is just like the vulgarity aspect of it. Like people tend to disregard that from Bullworth in this because he's like he's saying there is a problem. He's like cutting straight to the core. He's like there is a problem when we need to address it. And that is like a very similar thing. No, he's doing a, he's doing the the idea or 
I don't know if ideology is the right word, but he has the same framework as Bernie Sanders with the shock value of Trump that gets people on board. You know, he's running as a senator, and after the first day, you know, after the first 24-hour news cycle, if you will, he is getting 50% of the vote as a write-in during the primaries for the president, something like that. He gets a astronomically high number of write-in votes for presidency, you know, and it's because people are responding to him the way people we saw people respond three years ago. Yeah, I uh, at, at a certain point, it just became funny to me to imagine, like, Bernie Sanders saying uh, the things that Bullworth was saying. Like, I just want Bernie to adopt that style, like, Everybody just got to keep fucking till they all the same color. (laughs) (laughs) And we should say how he gets it there because he's not fully saying that people should be fucking till they the same color right after he's saying that politicians don't care about people. It's that night. You know, he meets some people at that club at that church and they go to a club together. This is where he meets Halle Berry. This is where he meets some other young people that will join his campaign staff and, you know, kind of balance it out from these two suit and tie Washington advisors to the more energetic spirits that latched onto what he was saying, you know? So they take him to the club and, uh, you know, Senator Bullworth, he, he gets a little, he catches the vibe, if you will. Hits the blunt. Yeah, he, <laughs> he hits the blunt, hits blunt once, listens to rap music once and decides that he wants to appropriate what he sees as black culture, I guess, for the rest of the movie. So he talks in very bad, I guess like 10 year old at that point, like late 80s style freestyle rapping. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. And it's really cringeworthy. And like it takes about five minutes to get over the fact that the rest of the movie he's going to be <laughs> acting like this. But then once you let it fully sink in, it's just wonderful. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a great scene where Beatty's kind of discovering his rhyme lingo and he's. <laughs> He's dancing around in this, uh, you know, underground club with, you know, various rooms to it, almost like a an apartment setup, and like you just see, Beatty just kind of like deliriously dancing around these rooms with the, you know, stunning cinematography in this movie too. Yeah, his, Vittorio Storaro yeah. Uh, shot it. It's a really handsome looking movie, you mm-hmm. know. Beatty kind of drifts the camera through the hallway. It's really kind of dreamlike as Mm -hmm. you kind of go with him on this journey of not sleeping for five days because you know the film opens he hasn't slept in three days he doesn't go to sleep again until like the climax pretty much so you're just seeing him on this bender and the camera is just like going through this labyrinth of a club with all these rooms that are like color coordinated yeah and it's just the most magnificent feeling and you're just like oh i don't care that he's doing like a cringeworthy 80s rap guy. This is the mm-hmm. most fun I've had watching a movie <laughs> yeah. in a while. Yeah. yeah. Like, honestly, I think part of the reason, like, uh, I feel like he gets away with it so much for me is because it's like, his, Bullworth is never, the like, he's always very clearly kind of like an idiot mm-hmm. as well. You're mm-hmm. never like, your sympathies never align too much with him. Uh, rather the just the the black organizers that work are like around him. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. It's the people that are propping him up that are doing everything here. Yeah. He's just speaking from the heart, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. and just he's the one with all the power, so he's the one that they're going to listen to. True. He's never like painted as like a, a revolutionary figure or like a like you know or like even like an explicit like a leftist. He has the leftist policies, but it more feels like kind of penance for his neoliberalism well in more one so of his, than anything in one of his first raps uh the rap that he does at the morning the brunch fundraiser mm-hmm. you know he throws socialism into the yeah. rhyme as a quote-unquote dirty word yeah. Yo, you can call a single payer a canadian way only socialized medicine will ever save the day come on now let me hear that dirty word socialism and that uh, that ruffles some feathers, I'll say that. Yeah. And then, yeah, he not everything he's saying that's, you know, quote unquote, that raw shit is uh, policy orientated. When he goes to the fundraiser <laughs> for like the Hollywood producers, he just calls them all Jews and gets yeah. kicked out. And it's really fucking funny. <laughs> is that the same? No, wait, I don't want to spoil that next scene. But damn. well, yeah, yeah, at this point, we're in like the fun and games. You know, he's yeah. fully committed to the bit. And he's getting more attention as he goes and he's just going to fundraisers and debates and just making a fool of himself and it's a lot of fun and he's growing a bit closer to the Halle Berry character while also every 10-15 minutes getting reminded that there's a guy trying to kill him and you know 
the camera kind of dictates the mood that we're in too, because it's either kind of freely floating around Beatty in this dream state, or then the assassin guy shows up and it's just like a tight zoom on him. And then some frantic camera movement of Beatty, like hopping back into the limo. And it really rides this like back and forth dynamic really well. Yeah, I totally agree. Like this movie rides like such a fine line between like two different like types of films, like a political thriller and like a political like satire. Yeah. Mm. And I think it, it's it succeeds at being both of those things. Now, I will say this in regards to those two feelings on this film. We could group this with Ishtar, too. And with Beatty being a kind of, quote-unquote, so bad it's good musical performer. <laughs> and Ishtar, he's writing some of the worst songs ever. And he's not a very good singer, but it's just you can't take your eyes off it. He's incredible, him and Hoffman together. Mm. Here he's doing the same thing with the art of the MC. Yeah. He is, he's dropping rhymes uh <laughs> Between this and Ishtar, yeah, he's truly one of the best comedic musical performers I can see. No, yeah, he's kind of like Eminem in where that, you know, the way he raps, you know, isn't isn't really nice to the ear, but what he's saying is truly powerful. Very technically proficient. Yeah. The rhyme schemes will fuck you up, man. <laughs> um, I think then at a certain point towards like the end of the second act, I believe, is that where we find out that Halle Berry is actually, she gets a call from... The man that Vinny, Vinny yeah, mm-hmm. that Bullworth uh, used to put out the hit, and it turns out Barry is uh, working with him, and now it's like sort of switched. The other uh, assassins have sort of failed, um, and it's like he forces upon her to kill him. Yeah, all right. on on the On the subject of Barry, she, I think she's not a good actress. I, watching this movie, I I felt like she was kind of noticeably bad and I was kind of thinking about John Wick 3 she wasn't really good in that either so mm-hmm. I don't know I think I'm anti Barry I think that's just misogyny damn actually I take that back yeah I really <laughs> think you should stop tearing down women all right um, Never but mind. like I mean <laughs> she's not great <laughs> that he being has, said she's yeah. given mouthfuls of dialogue to get true yeah. when she's yeah, giving yeah. Beatty all of his you know points to make in the debate about materialism <laughs> and shit yeah most of that is ADR, you know, they just yeah. cut to Beatty's reaction and it's the over Barry's shoulder because you can't stuff all that dialogue into a scene with her. You know, it's just mm-hmm. like with anyone, it's not yeah, just her. No, yeah. anyone given that role. It's like, I'm not going to say it's a thankless role because it's very clear that she's yeah, the whole reason Beatty's able to do everything, but no one could fucking pull that off. She's like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I but, mean, I think, or sorry. No, I was just going to say, that's like something. Yeah. That's always something I, sometimes fail to consider when i'm judging actors performances is like sometimes the writing is like just yeah. it's kind of hard to pull off she's no charles like grodin in ishtar yeah. I'll say that. <laughs> i i also feel like early on in the film mm-hmm. she like uh, she has like some more to do that isn't like entirely verbal mm-hmm. when she like first appeals uh to yeah. bullworth uh, like they in have the a great church. dancing scene, honestly, True. in the yeah. club when he's learning how to bump and grind. <laughs> Flickering tongues uh, at each other. Oh, it's really funny. They do some tongue action, like some snake. I don't even mm-hmm. know how to describe it. I myself have never, you know. <laughs> Busted down like that? <laughs> I've never quite gotten down quite like that. Yeah, and she's good at, She's good in the final scene they have together, too, where uh, Beatty's kind of staring at her from across the living room. But, yeah, so maybe maybe I'm being too harsh. Yeah, so as maybe you just hate women. (laughs) Nah, dude, I I just visited a city of women, so yeah. So as the campaign ramps up and the media attention grows, the paranoia grows too, until finally Halle Berry confesses to Warren Beatty, Bullworth himself, that she's supposed to kill him, and he immediately falls asleep because he knows that the assassination is finally fully off now that she's copped to it. So he goes to sleep and the media completely, you know, continues to ramp it up. It just escalates because he doesn't have anything to say at this point. And then finally, they're all surrounded at Halle Berry. She's been like stowing him away at her family's house, you know. Mm -hmm. So at the end, yeah, the media is all out front of their house and Beatty goes to face them. He has a full full night of sleep. You know, the campaign manager, instead of quitting is able to just like pivot toward him being this crazy oddball candidate and is embracing that fully. And finally, he's ready to face the press again. But Bullworth makes sure to turn around, get Halle Berry to come with him. So she finally does. 
and they have their nice moment under the sun and it's like you know a big crane shot pull back and you mm-hmm. see the whole kind of neighborhood and the press all around that one house and it seems like happily ever after oh God. and then bullworth gets shot because that assassin that we thought was finally fully called off that we had been seeing throughout the movie, he pulls out a camera and is like taking pictures and you're like, oh, this guy's actually just a photographer. Mm-hmm. And then he shoots him and it's a nice little fake out and it's a good clean way to fucking end the movie. Thank God there's not like a morning after type thing, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just think like it ends like what could have been a very hopeful note. And I feel like false for the political message that it's like in a film that's decrying neoliberalism, if it were to end with everything's wrapped up in a neat little bow and it it works out, I think it would be untruthful. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. He can't win. It's not like you're going to say, oh, and Bullworth finished inventing socialism over the next few weeks (laughs) and it was implemented immediately and happily ever after. No, it's you kind of have to be a cynic with this kind of thing because you look at, you know, the history of the American left up to that point and it's so many efforts that are just like stopped short, you know, and the hippies obviously couldn't fucking do shit. They weren't even mm-hmm. leftists. They were basically the people that Bullworth was in the beginning. That's who they turned into eventually, you know? Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to be a pessimist when you approach these things. I mean, now we see something like Sanders last time around do so well, uh, comparative to what people thought at least a socialist could do and you know we're hopeful from this time i guess i don't know we're not gonna all just talk about how we're bernie bros but i mean <laughs> it's, I... it's looking better now than it was uh according to bullworth in 1998 you know mm-hmm. socialism in america eliminate eliminate who rich people white people damn black people too brown people yellow people get rid of them all is a voluntary, free-spirited, open-ended program of procreative racial deconstruction. Everybody just got to keep fucking everybody till they're all the same color. Yeah, I just want to, again, reiterate that the only way Bernie wins is he goes full Bullworth. And that is speaking in rap. And we, yeah, (laughs) we can quote the New York Times on this one time. Obama, I guess, privately referred to going Bullworth, uh, which is something I found. And look, if Obama means he's going Bullworth, it could could mean anything. It could just mean that he loves fucking droning people. So... (laughs) And that's how we're going to end this week's extended clip. Just like how we started the first episode. Obama, you're on watch. Obama, get the hell out of here. Stop (laughs) listening. So, yeah, that's the end of the episode. Uh, You can hit us up on Twitter at ExtendedClip69. I'm at iPod underscore video. Bitch face palace. Tall boy thin legs. And you can reach out to us on email at extendedclippodcast at gmail.com. You can even throw like a little voice memo in there if you want. We'll play it on the show. Yeah. We're not like a call-in show, but if you somehow get a voice memo to us in the DMs or in our email, the EMs as I call them, <laughs> we'll play that shit on the show. Yeah. I don't care. We're not, it's whatever. You we're not say confident whatever. enough to have <laughs> guests at this point. So if you just want to like drop us a line, fucking do it. Mm-hmm. This isn't a call-in show. But please call in. This is not a guest show, but please guest. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Have a good week, I guess. Bye. (laughs) Or don't. Ain't gonna work, no sudden I don't Cause the thing that's the same in every one of these These motherfuckers there Insurance companies Insurance! Insurance! Yeah, you can call a single payer A Canadian way Only socialized medicine will ever save the day Come on now, let me hear that dirty word